Hello, everyone, and welcome to Director's Club, episode 186. I am your host, Jim Laskowski, and today we have two special returning guests. I've always said that the first movie podcast, which is now the longest-running movie podcast that got me into podcasting, was this wonderful show called Film Junk. So I had to make sure that for the 10th anniversary of this show, I had to get them back on. It's an honor to welcome back the great Sean and Frank from Film Junk. Yay. Hey, thanks, Jim. Awesome to be back. For sure. Hello, Jim. Glad to be back. Was the last time we were here, was it Zucker? Yeah. And Abrams? Yeah, yeah. Z-A-Z, baby. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that was a good one. And I was also on for Alexander Payne. Ooh, yeah. Another guy who's in trouble. <laughs> Is he? Oh, yeah. yeah. All, all your heroes, Frank. <laughs> They're all going down. I didn't even know about that. Yeah. It's a shame. It's a real shame. <laughs> oh, well. We're not going to dwell on that, though. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to acknowledge... We have to, actually, some of the stuff that is associated with the particular director we're covering on this episode. That is, of course, David O. Russell. Um, and I know that Jay is worker, working harder than ever, but yeah, maybe at some point this year I'll talk to him briefly. But I'm just, I'm just glad you guys are here today to talk about a filmmaker that uh, you know focuses on comedies and dramedies of of a sort. Uh, so we'll get into that conversation proper soon. I'm just wondering how each of you have been <laughs> this past year. Cause you know, absolutely nothing at all has happened and it's been kind of boring. Um, but, <laughs> but seriously, I'm wondering how Canada is handling these crazy times we've been living in uh, since the pandemic well started. Yeah, I mean, like, I think we've been kind of on the same roller coaster ride as the US. Uh, and now we're kind of actually in a worse situation because our vaccine situation is really uh, taking a long time to roll out. Mm. Things that were supposed to be there are not. And uh, I think, you know, US is saying end of May, most people yeah. will be vaccinated. And, and Canada is still kind of aiming for like September. So. I don't know what the summer's going to be like for us, but I mean, we've just been watching movies and playing video games. So, you know, hasn't been the worst thing in the world for us personally, but that's true. That's very true. How about you, Frank? Yeah, it's been going okay. Uh, I would say a couple weeks ago, it was starting to, um, to get to me a bit, but we had a couple of nice days and got to get outside and, Kind of break up the monotony of being stuck inside, but uh, I don't have any. It, it's been okay for me. I, I, I'm sure it hasn't been great for a lot of people, but I've been handling it. Uh, I, I guess as good as you can. Yeah, that's that's basically what. Um, yeah, even the last bonus episode I recorded with um, with the great Keith Gordon. Uh, he actually, you know, said the same thing is that, you know, a, a, as a introvert that just loves all things pop culture, it's not so bad, you know, <laughs> staying in and just catching up on movies and uh, just doing what we normally would do, you know, during like extreme weather. So, 
it's it's okay i'm not obviously i don't want a pandemic period but i I think we're good at adapting to it regardless yeah and i mean doing the pod or podcasting twice a week definitely helps fulfill some of uh the social gaps that i'm sure other people have so it's uh it doesn't feel as isolated as it might for others i guess so podcasting has been nice yeah, and as I mentioned, you guys are now in the Guinness Book of World Records, correct? Well, we're on the website. Oh, okay. I don't know if we're in the official book yet. I've, I've heard rumors that we might be in the next book that gets released. But yeah, I guess currently we have the record for longest running movie podcast, a very specific category. <laughs> but uh, yeah, somehow we've been doing this a very long time, and we basically just haven't thrown in the towel yet for whatever reason, so... You know, I guess uh, perseverance and uh, just, you know, refusing to find something better to do is all you really need to set a world record. Yeah. And you guys record weekly, which is incredible. Uh, (laughs) I'm pretty sure in most cases, perseverance is literally uh, the only thing you need (laughs) for some (laughs) of the stuff in the Guinness Book of World Records. Yes. Well, it's as I've been saying to a lot of people who, you know, aren't into podcasts, I'm like, it, it has become the go-to social outlet for me. It's like, this is how I connect with friends, you know? And obviously I wish we could all be hanging out in person and going to movie theaters again. Uh, and I'm still, I still have reservations about doing that. If, and when I get vaccinated, I'm still going to be more cautious than ever, just because I don't think we're out of the woods. And a lot of people seem to think, Oh, all the numbers are going down. People are getting the vaccine. Let's just go out and party. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I'm not ready to get to that point yet. So for now, podcasting is how I uh, interact with people and have great conversations. And we're going to have a good one as always. I have no doubt. Um, So before we talk about the director proper, we also include a segment uh, similar to you guys, what you do for Film Junk, but you save it for later in the show. And that is, of course, what we watched recently. Uh, used to be called What We Watched This Week, but I've just changed it right here and right now. Did you figure out what movies did we watch recently? because it makes more sense what we watched recently because <laughs> most of the time i'm like i didn't watch this last week i watched this two weeks ago or whatever <laughs> so 
yeah, we got some interesting things to talk about, I'm sure. But Sean, let's start with you. Tell us about something non-O Russell related that has piqued your interest. Well, uh, does it have to be something I actually liked? Because uh, no, no, not necessarily. I mean, you were you you mentioned you were going to talk about like uh, sort of the Groundhog Day time loop movie trend. I definitely will. Which is making a bit of a comeback. And I watched Boss Level. I don't know if, did you watch that or not? No, not yet. But I'm kind of curious because I like the director and I do like time loop movies. But the one I'm going to talk about, it sounds like the complete opposite. Right, yeah. So this is directed by Joe Carnahan, stars Frank Grillo. And it's it's basically an action movie. And I think the action is okay. But, you know, when you've seen this many time loop movies you're always kind of wondering what are they going to bring that new to the table? You know, what's the twist going to be? What's the reveal going to be? And they really do not do anything interesting with it. Mm-hmm. it. It's kind of in terms of, you know, it just kind of does the same as edge of tomorrow or groundhog day where he kind of is able to get very good at certain types of combat by doing it over and over again. Um, you know, there's there's a few memorable fight scenes, but overall, I thought it was kind of a disappointment personally. Well, that's a shame. <laughs> uh, that, is that on Hulu? Or okay. yes, it's on Hulu. All right. Yeah, because I've just keep it. I've been seeing mostly, yeah, middling reviews and not a lot of enthusiasm for it. I just haven't made a made it a priority because. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to something else soon, but I, I just, I, I, I kind of felt this way when I, when I saw Russian doll on Netflix, I kind of said, that's good. That's it. We don't, I feel like this, this is saying everything that needs to be said about this particular story and this, you know, kind of, uh, gimmick more or less using this, uh, using the groundhog day premise. Uh, but then again, you know, something like Palm Springs can sneak up on you and, and, and show up and, you know, bring you joy. So it's, it's just really interesting that they're still, they're still utilizing this constantly. And it's, I don't think it's going to go away. I wonder, you know, what more can be done, but uh, doesn't sound like boss level is up to snuff. So. Yeah. I mean, there's a few video games coming out this year too, that involve time loops. So it's definitely out there in the, in the ether right now. Yeah, and I always I always said like Edge of Tomorrow felt like a video game, yeah, and not in a definitely. bad way. Usually it's like, you know, hardcore Henry or something. <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, and and that's kind of what I thought boss level would be. I mean, it is. It kind of references video games a bit, but it doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't fully embrace that either. Mm. Oh well, it happens. You know, you at least get intrigued by the premise, but. It just doesn't uh, follow through on it. So that's that's a shame. Frank, how about you? Anything that you've seen? Uh, maybe I'll just go quickly go over a few things. One, just I really appreciate the comedic aspects of David O. Russell. So uh, a comedy that I rewatched recently that I love is The Nutty Professor. Sure. Eddie Murphy's Nutty Professor. <laughs> and just so people can know where my uh, comedic interests lie that I think the nutty professor is hilarious in particular, <laughs> the, the dinner scenes. Uh, and it is interesting why I think the dinner scenes are funny in that movie is like this kind of family dynamic, uh, which definitely mm. there's a similar comedic effect in David O. Russell movies, even though in those cases they're all played by Eddie Murphy. 
Um, but uh, I, I really enjoyed that rewatch. Uh, it not, had been a long time since I had seen it. And maybe I'll also mention uh, Ryan, the last dragon, which I really enjoyed as well. thought it was visually fantastic. And uh, you know, I was loving the world building and all that stuff. I didn't, I wouldn't say it was perfect by any means, but I uh, really enjoyed that out of all the recent uh, streaming stuff that's come out. Wow. Yeah. I got to catch up with that. Everybody's, everybody's raving about it. And I, I certainly liked um, <laughs> another dragon. Re- I like maybe I like dragon movies. And I think about it because I like Pete's dragon and I like how to train your dragon. So I guess I better original Pete's dragon or remake Pete's dragon. Oh, I guess the the more recent one. I haven't I haven't okay. seen the original forever. I couldn't tell. Oh, you. I love the original. Did not like the original. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I guess I'm going to mention one other documentary. Uh, Attack of the Murder Hornets, which is Ooh, yeah, of, I gotta see that one of the the better th- docs I've seen. Well, there's been some good docs, but I really loved this movie, and it's uh, I guess it's on Discovery Plus in the U.S. And I just thought the pacing was amazing, uh, so entertaining, uh, fantastic doc. Cool. I'm definitely making that a priority as well. Um, but yeah, like the the most recent thing I watched. I w- it's not going to be the, the the main thing I, I review necessarily, but I wanted to bring up Kid Ninety, which was directed by Soleil Moon Fry, aka Punky Brewster. Um, and I grew up. Isn't there a Punky Brewster reboot happening? Right there now? is actually. I have I haven't seen it. I'm sure it's very sitcommy. I'm I the trailer I saw for it didn't instill me with a lot of enthusiasm. <laughs> uh, but. I grew up on Punky Brewster. Um, I, I really enjoyed the show. I thought it was very cute and, you know, heartwarming. But uh, this this documentary she just put out called Kid 90, it, it, it's like it's like it, a lot of people, you know, who grew up in the 90s may have connected with uh, Jonah Hill's mid 90s. I connected with this because she basically when she was a teenager, she had a camcorder and was just filming her friends all the time hanging out. And a lot of it is just this nostalgia trip of her going back and re-experiencing, you know, these old home movies that she made and the feelings that she feels now, the feelings she felt then. Uh, it's like, it's, it's, it's literally like reading a diary, you know? And I, I was surprised by how moved I was, but I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I'm a kid from the 90s that dressed like that, that looked like that, that watched all those shows that all these, all her friends that are in this, it is a laundry list of celebrities that when you see them, uh, you'll, you'll either smile or you'll feel a little bit sad because a lot of them have passed on like Jonathan Brandis. Uh, so I, it's, it's not a great documentary because it loses focus here and there. And it is, often a series of just talking heads talking about the past. But if you grew up in the nineties and if you are a fan of punky Brewster, I, I think you'll enjoy it. Like I, I really think you'll find something in this to that you'll identify with, even if it's just the fact that you used to hang out actively with your friends in, in, in basements or outside of high school and just it, it captures that spirit. It captures that feeling that unfortunately we don't get to really experience, uh, especially in the age of social media. So 
I had not heard about this. It looks interesting. Yes, it is. It's it's short. It's sweet. It's got you know it's got its heart in the right place. Not high art by any stretch. I just personally I was pretty moved and engaged by it. But um, like I mentioned, there's another time loop movie that also kind of surprised me, uh, much like last year's Palm Springs. But this one is less you know absurdist comedy and more romantic dramedy. It's available on Amazon Prime, and it's called The Map of Tiny Perfect Things, which is based on a young adult novel. And yes, it's a young adult story, but um, it's interesting how, you know, we talked about rolling our eyes now at the point of, you know, just uh, time loop fatigue, maybe. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I just have just like I said, I'm surprised this is still going strong. And at the same time, you know, I'm not going to go out and say this is an incredible film, but it also snuck up on me. I, I I can't deny that I laughed and I was moved, particularly by the performance of Catherine Newton from Freaky. Did you guys see Freaky? No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It was it was for what it was. I, I liked it. Wouldn't say it's great, but. Oh, wait, Freaky. No, I'm getting mixed up with uh, the other one that guy did, Happy Death Day. Uh, I haven't seen Freaky yet. So, yes, I, I would That's like what to I thought. It. I didn't think Sean had seen Freaky. He, he's trying to I've been I've been it pushing bad, it. I've been but... saying we should review it, and nobody wants to for some reason. <laughs> it's not bad. It's not bad. I didn't say I didn't want to. I just, you know, you are pushing it really hard. I don't know. <laughs> Well, you get to see, a, you know, a, a good comedic performance from Vince Vaughn in that. So that's, you know, that's something to take note of. But I really do think Catherine Newton is one of those stars that lights up the screen and that somebody will be talking about and enjoying for years to come. But, uh, yeah, like I said, this is this is a young adult story. We follow, you know, a high school senior named Mark who is, you know, actually pretty content with reliving the same 24 hours over and over and over again. He like has this, you know, daily routine where he, you know, wakes up and banters with his little sister, helps his dad out with all the crossword puzzle answers. Um, and he just sort of wanders around and, and, and also plays video games with his best friend, sets up little tasks to accomplish to help people out. It's kind of, it's kind of like what Bill Murray does in Groundhog Day later in the film when he starts learning how to be selfless. But uh, of course he comes across somebody else with this same predicament uh, played by Catherine Newton. And of course there is uh, some attraction there because they're both in the same uh, predicament and, you know, she's, she's a little bit aloof and we sort of learn about why. And that's, you know, that's not something I'm going to reveal because that's what, that's what, got me and that's also why i think this one kind of elevates itself a little bit um there there are a couple of it's like three cheesy montages that i wasn't crazy about you know and some pretty lame songs it's it like i said it is more geared towards the young adult crowd but i think anybody who has experienced loss or you know knows knows what it's like to be stuck in life. And I think that's, that goes true. That holds true for all these time loop movies. Like, Oh, my life is just so monotonous. Every day feels the same. You know, everybody has felt that at some point when they're not happy at their job or in a relationship or whatever. And I think that's what makes 
this movie particularly strong uh, and a lot of these time loop movies really, but it is very straightforward and it's nothing we haven't seen before, but at the same time I was charmed by it. Uh, it's like, I, I think I recently even said, I know I should be watching more Fellini films or Bergman or, you know, like going through- or the nutty professor <laughs> or nothing but trouble. Um, but exactly. But I think this, this past year, especially, you know, we've, we've all been drawn more to comfort films, you know, and, and even something like, like this one and Palm Springs really do feel comforting in a way, you know, I mean, I, I'm wondering how you both feel about the resurgence of these time loop movies and what makes them work well why why do they keep getting made <laughs> well it's weird that they are that the resurgence is happening kind of around the same time that the pandemic is happening yeah. in and people seem to relate to them partially because of that but a lot of these movies were you know made before the pandemic so it's not it's just kind of a weird coincidence it, i gotta step back here take a step back is it a resurgent or resurgence or just a surgence like there was groundhog day are we still part of the first wave of like multiple time loop movies starting with edge of tomorrow am i missing something was there anything in between there or another well i mean you go all the way back to like time crimes that was like what mid 2000s or something oh, like yeah. i feel like there's that been a few here and there and now it's just like this overload yeah this is so many the, uh, this is the surgeons <laughs> maybe <laughs> like, and I warned you, I said, I did I officially, or did we give this the junkie for the moratorium award? Like it's got to end. And I was saying it two years ago. Yeah. I mean, it definitely came up. Not did it win? Like, I don't know. A while back. And I was uh, pushing hard for it. I know that. And uh, I will admit that even though I'm kind of sick of them, they do kind of work. Yeah. Like it's hard, to, it's hard to deny that they work. I enjoyed Palm Springs quite a bit. Uh, I love edge of tomorrow. Um, I haven't seen the one you mentioned, Jim, and I'm trying to think of some other ones that I, that I like, but I don't know that I guess happy death day is kind of one of those to some degree. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, like I said, Russian doll that, yeah, I, I, I didn't finish that series, although I like I didn't really start it. I only watched a few minutes, but I, I did like what I saw. Yeah, no, no, it's it's really strong and, and, and it ends on a very high note. Uh, I, I know there's because it's been successful. There is talk of another season. I'm like, nah, I don't I don't th I hope not. If they do, I hope it's not time loop again, because like I said, I, I, I think you can experience fatigue with anything and just. You know, I, I, but the same. Time. Can I make an analogy, a video game analogy yeah, yeah, uh, that I know Sean will think is right on the nose. It, if thinking of Metroid, the game Metroid, there was a, a game that reused the Metroid design formula, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Mm. And it, it generated a new name, which I don't say. I call them Metroid-likes or Metroid-inspired games. Other people call them Metroidvanias. I don't. But there is basically, it's a, it's a great design format that works. And, you know, we, everyone was surprised. Like, why aren't more people ripping off Metroid? It just, it works as a, as a video game design format. And now there's tons of those types of games. Everyone kind of copies it because it just works and you can put your own spin on it, add your own little wrinkle 
or unique idea to bring to the table, whether it's art style or a mechanic or something like that. And I feel that's what these time loop movies are doing. It's just, okay, can we take a thing that we know works and there's analogies to life in many ways and we attack those analogies or a point of those in a very specific way, uh, like something like Groundhog Day and what can we bring to the table? What's the new idea? And just that little wrinkle is enough to uh, make you want to take it in again to uh, play that game again. And I, as much as I complain about it, I'm still not quite sick of them yet, but I, I get the sense I'm going to be. Yeah, I kind of agree. Like I, after this one too, I was, I was again, as much as I enjoyed it, I, in the end I said, okay, I, you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing an action movie version of a time loop movie again, and but I don't know if boss level is strong enough to you know to be the one, uh, and certainly you know Edge of Tomorrow was really good. I like that one too, um, but you know, I think we need to move on. Has there been an animated film? Not that it's uh, there's got to be a genre. There's, there's going to be that. That's coming. Guaranteed. I, I'm pretty sure there's a few animes. That I would think so. I would think so. Yeah. I think mainstream, you know, that's like a Disney Pixar movie will will hit the the time loop big time in the next few <laughs> years. Is my prediction. Sean, did my analogy work? You can be honest with me. We're, we're I, nothing yeah, but I honest mean, it, with each other. I feel like I feel like that analogy has been discussed at some point on well, one please. of our shows. That's an original thought. No, no, I mean, I think you've said it before, so <laughs> it works. <laughs> did I, it really? I, I, I've used that exact analogy before. I think so. Hmm, Maybe I'm imagining it, but uh, yeah, I agree. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. I've definitely ranted about the term Metroidvania before. Maybe you're just, you know, (laughs) I don't know. We've done a lot of podcasts. Transference with that. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I just think at first, you know, people would kind of be like, oh, this is like Groundhog Day. And it kind of would always be a comparison to that. And now it's kind of, it's like, no, it's a time loop movie. It's a genre or a subgenre, right? No, for sure. And I I mean, I, I'm not a fan of too much self-awareness of, you know, with the characters. And that does happen in the map of tiny, perfect things where they go, Oh, it's like groundhog day and edge of tomorrow. (laughs) You know, I like kind of roll my eyes at that at this point. Cause I'm like, they say that in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I'm out. I got to go barf. I'll be right back. All right. Does, does, <laughs> but does, don't they, doesn't don't... that work for you in Scream though? Or, you know, I mean like that was an original conceit at the time to do that sort of thing in something like Scream, you know? It works for me in Scream. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not, they, although they I don't know the overall some... tone of the film you're talking about. They say something like that in Palm Springs. Maybe they don't actually say Groundhog Day, but he says like, oh, it's one of those time loop situations you've heard of or something like that, right? Yeah, I think so. And you love Palm Springs, Frank. Just had to mention that. That's all. I don't think it's as direct as uh, the example I just heard. So I I don't remember (laughs) that, that which you speak of, Sean. So uh, we're going to have to go to the videotape or pretty sure it's in the trailer. Take this offline. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I don't know, but these, you know, these are also, you know, teens that are aware of pop culture. So I guess it makes sense. But I just personally, I wouldn't include it. I just kind of go, all right, direct, direct callback to other movies that are similar. Uh, you know, it's it's a little cheesy, but I also it's funny because like I reacclimated 
watching the movie going, okay, this is, this is definitely a young adult story and I'm forgiving it because it's actually working for me on an emotional level. So fine. I I think that happens in zombie movies a lot now though, too. And and I think it's just because when there's so many of something, people start to think, well, it's not really realistic that people wouldn't know what's going on. Right. Like, cause it's just so much in the culture that people would obviously know, okay, try this, try that. It's, you know, the dead coming back to life, like whatever. So, um, but I am sick of, but I am sick of zombie movies. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) It's the same situation, yeah. No, but I mean, like horror tropes. I mean, they're always going to be with us. There's always going to be. Well, this is a vampire movie. This is a werewolf movie. This is a zombie movie. So, it's still possible that somebody could do a clever spin on the zombie movie, like with uh, one cut of the dead. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. So there's always a surprise in store. I'm just, I'm actually surprised. That there's, you know, where's the time loop zombie movie? There you go. <laughs> Write it, Frank. It's all yours. You can get Dan Aykroyd in it. I'll pass. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm also not going to go on too long about this really quickly, but I'm just curious because I know where Jay stands, but are either of you fans of uh, Southland Tales? Because Arrow just put out a killer Blu-ray and I'm in love with it all over again. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I don't know if I would say I'm a fan. It's an interesting movie. I think, you know, it's kind of one of those movies that's a mess and it's kind of a failure, but it's intriguing nonetheless. I would certainly like to revisit it. And I guess there's a new cut of the movie on there as well. Yeah, the cans cut that I think is a little bit better. Um, Yeah. Yeah, there's sort of less of the narration and kind of spelling things out to you. So it's it's weird how that happened with Donnie Darko, too, because there was the original version where, you know, he he doesn't spell out the whole time travel element at all. And then in the director's cut, he thought it would be a better idea to spell it out to the audience, which was not a good idea <laughs> in the director's cut. So it's just weird. It's like a reversal here. Hmm. Yeah, that is kind of yeah i'm not a fan i'm looking at stills right now and i would say it might be one of the most entertaining sets of stills ever like it's (laughs) it's a fun movie to look at stills for uh i guess i'm marginally interested in uh re-watching it at some point but i would not say i'm a fan it's got a twisted sense a really crazy sense of humor going on throughout all of it like the problem is though is that it takes its ideas very seriously at the same time so it, that's there's like a disconnect because there you have scenes with like, you know, Amy Poehler screaming obscenities and John Lovitz playing a cop that is speaking very monotone and very serious, like deadly serious stuff. Um, but I think it's because I'm just a fan of all of Richard Kelly's influences that like a mashup movie from him is satisfying to me on an entertaining level. Cause it's like, Oh, clearly he loves Thomas Pinchon and Philip K. Dick. And you know, all, all these things that I grew up reading or watching. And it's, it's, it's just clear to me that his vision is so uh, grandiose at times that it's really hard to keep track of all of his ideas. Like it's a movie that's too, too compact with ideas that your brain starts to hurt watching it. But I'm also find the fact that he attempted it 
it's yeah, like you said, Sean, it's it's an entertaining mess, <laughs> you know, that I would never like hold up as a great work of art. But when I watch it, I kind of go, this is kind of hip hypnotic for me in the fact that it's this, you know, hodgepodge of so many things and not all of it works. But I also feel like it captures that um, post 9-11 period surprisingly well like the paranoia i think that a lot of people were experiencing at the time is infused into this movie but you know again some of the song choices wave of mutilation mm-hmm. is in it i know you're a fan frank um the, the slow version of course from one of my favorite movies pump up the volume yeah well i i don't dislike the song okay. i just don't love it right okay now. that's fine <laughs> no, but it's just like I said, I, I I understand detractors of Southland Tales or people not getting into it, but I don't know. There's just something about it. You got to get into the uh, prequel graphic novels, man. I will. He he actually wants to. I don't know how or when he's going to make another movie, but he he wants to make a prequel or some kind of mini series or something. And I don't know. I man, I just I want him to make something again. Like I am dying for him to do something like I, you know, even like the box, it's kind of another kind of weird mess of a movie, but I, I kind of like it. Yep, Me too. I mean, it's been too long. Agreed. I think it's just been hard for him to get financing for his weird ideas. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I think we're ready to move on to the director of the episode, and that would be David O. Russell. O. Russell. First name David. Why are you such a mean guy? At least you make great movies. Well, Before we start discussing uh, the work of this particular director, I I want to be upfront that there are allegations out there that you know that uh, that he groped his niece or something, but the case was closed without any charges being filed. 
Uh, and but I think most people at this point know about or have seen those videos uh, from the set of I Heart Huckabees. And <laughs> he doesn't look like a pleasant guy to work with, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. There's stuff out there. I mean, Amy Adams said stuff about um, working on American Hustle. George Clooney got in fights with him on the set of Three Kings. Like, pretty much every movie, there's stories. Didn't James Caan leave that addicted, or what's the name of that movie? That were, I watched it. Love? It was called uh, <laughs> Nailed or whatever in the service I watched it. So, uh, right. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. He doesn't seem like the, the greatest guy. No, it's a shame, you know, and but people still want to work with him. And I, I don't want to veer, you know, veer into Woody Allen territory and, uh, you know, the whole conversation about separating the art from the artist, you know, but I just wanted to acknowledge that we are kind of celebrating the work of a madman <laughs> whose behavior is questionable to say the least. Uh, you know, like I actually, um, I, I, I found my old, I heart Huckabee's double disc. And there is a documentary on there. It's about like 40 minutes long. And I watched it and I'm like, man, it looks like everybody's having the time of their life. And of course it was edited. And of course they're not going to include his, you know, assholeish behavior. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, I can see why people are drawn to working with him because he has a very similar kind of manic energy that is reflected in his, you know, in his films. So it's like, they're probably drawn to the fact that like, Oh, he's, he, he really knows what he's doing as a filmmaker. But again, like his behavior can, at least to me, especially as an introvert would be very overwhelming because he's loud and he'll shout alternate lines to the actors in the middle of the take, you know? And it's just like, most of the time when I'm watching him, like, he's like Jim Carrey or something. He's like, I'm like, calm down, dude. You know, he's got too much energy. Yeah, I'd seen the 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 onset stuff from I Heart Huckabees, uh, which, you know, is uncomfortable to watch. And uh I I had I'm looking up other stuff. A lot of this stuff I hadn't even heard of before. Like I'm kind of out of the loop here, but uh Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of stuff and I'm wondering, like I know he is setting up a new movie right now, but I I feel like he was on the verge of like is his career over like i don't know but it seems like something's happening and and people still want to work with them and hopefully he's learned from all this stuff that's happening i sure so hope we'll so see. i didn't know about the george clooney thing either i'm kind of seeing an interview here about that as well so yeah 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 it's it's, it's, it's a little unfortunate about o russell and alexander payne uh because i i, I like their movies i i really really do and you know, again, it's just unfortunate that, uh, you know, some some directors are control freaks to the point of being dicks. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's certainly not the first time. It's gone all the way back to, you know, The Wizard of Oz and Judy Garland and then Kubrick and Shelley Duvall. So, you know, it's it's one of those things that I wish didn't happen, but it happens and you know, you just sort of have to roll with it. And also, and also I'm, I'm, I'm thinking Jennifer Lawrence must be just a remarkably resilient human being <laughs> to have worked with O. Russell and then Darren, Darren Aronofsky on mother. I'm like, 
Oh boy, I can't imagine the therapy bills for her if she <laughs> if this is like all the things that she you know she must go through. Uh, but let's start at the beginning and sort of work our way a little bit here to the main reviews. But I I gotta say, like I wasn't crazy about spanking the monkey. Did you guys see that? I saw it, but many many years later. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, I've seen it once. I've seen uh, flirting with disaster once, I think, but I did not rewatch them. Those are the only ones I didn't rewatch. Well, that's cool. I mean, it was his first directorial effort, and it's a film I wish I felt stronger about than I do because, like, that is sort of like the golden era of indie cinema that I, you know, grew up with. Especially at that time, it's like the time I'm going to video stores and checking out whatever you know Miramax is putting out. Uh, I, I think it's fine. I think it's you know got got great performances in it. Uh, Jeremy Davies is pretty strong, but it doesn't quite get to the level of screwball ensemble comedy until Flirting with Disaster, and then this begins sort of like you know the prime time run for me of of David O. Russell. Though I enjoy a couple. of later films we'll get to <clears throat> but most of the time i think it's really about the strength of his screenplays and the cast he's assembled watching them fly off the rails and yet still remain these incredibly flawed human characters that you don't mind spending time with even if they are selfish and frank you already mentioned he's so good at capturing family dynamics like what happens when different personalities tend to be very expressive in the same room together, you know, like that's the joy of pretty much all of his work. In my opinion is like, Oh man, if you've ever had like a dysfunctional holiday get together with all your family members or something, and you, you bring up politics or whatever, or sports or movies or something, and you all stars like get really passionate about your opinions. Like that to me is one of his key strengths. Um, but after the success of Flirting with Disaster, he made a movie I think, you know, is very much worth talking about from 1999, which uh, is, you know, definitely one of my favorites. And it's called Three Kings. Uh, so upon upon rewatch, I I still think it holds up. I think it's one of his more accomplished works because he didn't really go on to do anything of this sort really at all, because this is an action war movie at times. But it's also very funny, very entertaining, surprisingly moving. Um, strange connection <laughs> to, to one of my favorite movies. Again, pump up the volume. Same cinematographer. Who knew? Uh, but yeah, no, I, every performance is solid. The action sequences are strong. And, you know, what it has to say about greed in the time of the Gulf War is potent. Uh, one of my favorite movies is Treasure of Sierra Madre. So anytime there's a you know, heist involving gold. I'm on board. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I still love this movie. His, his energy is there. And, uh, yeah, this is one of his very best for me. What do what do you think? Frank, we'll start with you. What do you think of three Kings? Yeah, I remember loving it, uh, when it came out in 99 or 2000, I think I had, uh, was one of the first DVDs I bought and I thought, you know, it was very funny and entertaining, and I love the style. Uh, Rewatching it today, I I still really like it. I don't know if I like it as much as I did then. Um, I think all the performances are really good. the The story is fantastic. The style is where I've kind of 
like kind of changed, I guess, and that some of it I still love. Some of it I think holds up really well. I think the, you know, the, the body, um, like the interior body stuff and some of the other like kind of crazy style stuff that I remember from when I was 19, I still like a lot. I'm not a fan of some of the, the color uh, timing and look of the movie. Uh, I think that's a thing with a lot of early two thousands movies. I know I'm that way with Spielberg stuff when he was going for a very distinct look in, in movies like AI and minority report. And now I look back on those movies and they just, they look gross to like me. Like gritty and uh, grainy and stuff. Yeah. Like it's such a calculated attempt to, to manicure a look like this is what a Spielberg movie looks like in the early 2000s. I I noticed that with traffic, a Soderbergh's movie, like just the there's, yeah, that's a good example. There's moments, especially the Benicio del Toro stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's, there's some cinematography parts style wise that I'm not crazy about uh, as much as I was back then. Uh, But overall, I still think it's, you know, a really entertaining movie. I say this a lot on film junk. I find movies are not that entertaining anymore. And uh, this is, uh, I would say the end is not as strong as the beginning, Mm -hmm. even though like the story and the heart of the movie is at the end. Uh, I still find it much more captivating. And like the energy in the first half of the movie uh, is super strong to me, but you know, I do tend to, start to lose some interest towards the end. I don't think it's as good. Although I think there are some action highlights involving like the uh, C4 nerf ball and oh, yeah. so, some other things that are pretty, uh, pretty interesting and fun and yeah, still, uh, still really enjoyed this rewatch. Yeah. I mean the, the use of U2 during the epilogue, I mean, I don't, I didn't, I don't know if I needed to know that all these guys went on to lead these fulfilling lives necessarily. You know, I think, I don't think that's the strongest way to end this movie, but I, I appreciate the selfless act that they all do. You know, I think that's, that's a nice heartfelt note to go out on. Even if, you know, this, this is a pretty dark story, you know, in general with like all the, all the things that go on throughout this movie. But uh, Sean, what do you think of three Kings? Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty much with you guys. Like I remember this would have been my first David O. Russell movie back in 99. And I remember really liking it then. And I honestly don't know the last time I rewatched it. So I was kind of looking forward to rewatching it. And for the most part, I thought it really held up. Like I agree with Frank that some of the cinematography and, you know, there's just an attitude, I think to like sort of some of these nineties movies. And it's just like, you know, it was exciting at the time and maybe it was just, you know, I was kind of a a teenager and just getting into film and I was eager for that kind of stuff. And now it it feels like it's, I'm like, okay, it's a bit much, but, um, you know, it's just like so confident right from the start, this movie, like between the editing and the cinematography and the music, and it really does pull you in. And I think I was surprised how much action actually is in the movie. For some reason, I didn't remember that much action like i don't know if i was thinking it was more of like a jarhead kind of movie or something but there really is a lot and i think it um you know it deals with some sensitive subjects and still manages to come out pretty well uh you know 25 years later or however how however far removed we are now uh 22 22 uh 
so I mean, it's uh, you're right, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, my my brain is not ready to do math right now. But uh, Spike Jones is a lot of fun in you know one of his few acting roles, and um, yeah, I mean, I still really didn't enjoyed it. And you know, overall, it just kind of reminded me 1999, great year for movies. I agree, and I will. Well, I do want to touch on one thing. Uh, Jim mentioned In God's Country by U2, and uh, Sean mentioned the music. Overall, I think music is, I, I think, I'm not imagining this, that people love his music choices in his films. Uh, is this true? Am I imagining this? or I I haven't heard strong feelings either way, but I, I, could, I could see people getting into it. And I'm... Like, I associate... <sighs> I think of certain songs when I think of his movies and his trailers and stuff like that. And I, I like the music in three Kings. I think it's one of the better I ones. Agree. To be I agree. But I, I don't know if this is a hot take or what I do not like his, the songs he picks for his movies. Like I, almost every movie I rewatched, there's like these, you know, sequences playing out to different songs. And I'm like, you know, they might fit the movie, which is what it's about. I get it. But I'm just like, yeah, I would not be listening to this soundtrack. Not going to lie. Uh, I, I'm not crazy about his music selections, but I think some people are. And I mean, in American Hustle, it's really like. Oh, yeah. I'm, there's some there's some clunkers in that, boy. I got to tell you, I'm not I'm not a fan of watching Jennifer Lawrence, you know, uh, clean and vacuum to live and let die. That that that's that's <laughs> joy, isn't it? No, it's American Hustle. I mean, I th- yeah, she like starts lip syncing with a, with a, I was going to say a mop, but I think it's with a broom in American Hustle. Yeah, that's weird because it could fit in Joy, but I <laughs> yeah, think it is. Okay. All right. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, I, I, no, it's weird that I say that because I actually do like that scene, even though I'm not. Uh, yeah, I guess that's one I don't mind. But uh, out of all the Jennifer Lawrence performances in his movies, American Hustle is my least favorite by far. Mm-hmm. I just don't think she's as great in that role. It feels a little forced comedically Yeah, uh, where I think she is genuinely uh, hilarious, heartbreaking and like amazing in silver linings playbook, which we'll talk about. And I mean, I'm alone. I rewatched joy and absolutely loved it uh, this week. So shocker. Uh, that was huge. L- Letterbox is lighting up right now, folks. It is. I'm getting <laughs> a lot of action on that review. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, so the, the opening sequence in Three Kings, like, where we're introduced to all these characters is kind of funny for a personal reason. The, uh, the, the one and only time I went to summer camp, every single guy in my cabin, there's like maybe 12 or 13 guys there, had bought a copy of Fear of a Black Planet on cassette. So I can't I can't tell you the number of times on boomboxes they would be blasting, I can't do nothing for you, man! So, uh, like... Oh boy, when, <laughs> I will forever associate that song with a bunch of guys singing it loudly and dancing around like crazy. And I watch this movie, I'm like, oh yeah, they're doing that too. <laughs> There's just something about, and then like that song, I got the power. I'm like, oh my gosh, that is just so the time. That snap, yeah, the artist snap, yeah. Also featured in uh, NHL All Star Hockey for Sega Saturn, <laughs> featuring Coach <laughs> Labou. Well, that was one of the first cassette tapes I bought. <laughs> I, you know, I definitely did too. I, you know, there's, I, I own some bad nineties music, no doubt. Uh, but 
As Jay would probably make fun of me now. I was listening to Weird Al and Ninja Turtle soundtrack. <laughs> so I wasn't cool enough to listen to that stuff. Nothing, yeah. nothing wrong with Weird Al. He'll, he'll always be funny. Uh, but no, this is this is one of the few examples of his use of music that I don't cringe at. I I I do find it funny when they're listening to Chicago on the way to attack. That's uh, that's pretty cute, pretty funny. I th- but I think the yeah the, the the one thing I didn't care for was the use of like slow motion once they start firing their guns to protect the Iraqi prisoners and when they break the ceasefire. Like I oft- I often wonder if it had just been shot in a more straightforward manner it would have been more effective because it just yeah like that is a super 90s thing to do with that choice for sure like you guys should probably just do a 1999 premium and like kind of go back and select a bunch of movies from that period and see if they hold up especially what would it be especially fight club is american beauty 1999 yeah for sure yep that's what won all the big awards there's actually a good book being that, John Malkovich. Uh, yep. There, there's a book that's called best movie year ever. How 1999 blew up the big screen by Brian Raftery Raftery. And uh, I listened to the audiobook of this a while back and it's pretty fun. Like it goes through like all the movies and kind of gives you uh, some behind the scenes stories, Blair Witch Project, uh, I'm sure he talks about them. Detroit Rock City and Ed TV, Bowfinger. <laughs> I mean, you'd be surprised. I think all of those are mentioned in there. I don't know if they each have their own chapter, but I'd have to check this out. Yeah, I mean, it's like not like there's certain movies that he goes a little more in depth on, and then there's some where he groups a bunch together and talks about them together. But it's uh, it's it's a good book. Now that was definitely the year where I mean, I I would say like when I saw Pulp Fiction, that was probably what kickstarted you know, my love of movies in a major way, but then 1999 sort of reinforced that with like the matrix and Magnolia and fight club. I, and to some extent, like eyes wide shut and there's, and three Kings. I mean, there's just like, there was this onslaught of really strong movies. The one I want to go back to, cause I only saw it the one time and I'm very curious if it holds up is the green mile. Cause uh, mm, yeah. that one, that one, <laughs> That one kind of destroyed me when I saw it, so I wonder if it. I wonder if it still will. I'm, I'm pretty sure it will. But yeah, no, I mean, Three Kings is definitely high up on the list of ninety strong nineteen ninety nine movies, for sure. Uh, now I got one quick question for you guys, hmm. and maybe maybe this is a, a lame thing to ask, but like, is it weird that it's called Three Kings? Like, I know that it comes from. Uh, it's Spike Jones's character who who references it, but there's really four of them that go out there, right? Like, yeah. and I I was thinking to myself that Spike Jones dies early in the movie or something, but he's he's in it pretty much like for a good chunk of the movie. It's, so it seems weird that it's focused on those three guys, I guess, because they're the three big stars. But you know, it's they're not the only ones on this little heist. Yeah, no, that's that's true. I I would consider Spike Jones one of the reasons why it was a success, more or less. I mean, it's certainly a bummer that he passed, and maybe they're just sort of going, "Well, we three survived, so we're the three kings." <laughs> that's the, that's the name of the movie now. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's probably more related to the the. Although I don't know if they would be thinking of marketing when they title the film, but uh, I don't know if there's any history of the the name of the movie or if it changed throughout production, but 
feels like it's about the the three leads and stuff like that and who yeah where the where the money's going to be spent for casting and star power (laughs) yeah i guess so Speaking of which, got to mention too, early Mark Wahlberg performances I love. Like when he's just, I mean, he still kind of is able to channel this a bit in his performances now, but he just has that naive kind of uh, charm that I love. And, uh, you know, he has kind of lost it a bit, I think. But this Boogie Nights, obviously, uh, you know, a lot of fun to watch him. I think he's like that in uh, to his best degree i don't think it's his best mo- movie from that time of performance but he has that uh sensibility in i heart huckabees and it's pretty oh funny. man i love him in that so much and yeah i'm it's it's maybe he needs to stop working with peter berg at this point <laughs> you know well, i was definitely thinking of this versus lone survivor and some other stuff even though i kind of like a lot of peter berg movies certainly not all of them but uh yeah this is much better by comparison, especially I was thinking directly of Lone Survivor, which uh, this is a much better film. than. Yeah, I was having this conversation with my coworker in that I really like it when, you know, the, the pretty boy actors get broad with comedy. I mean, like, you know, certainly I think of George Clooney, you know, brother were out and Brad Pitt with uh, um, Burn After. Burn After. Reading. Yeah, yeah. And I... I don't know. I like, I think Bradley Cooper's more interesting when he's, you know, being funny and Mark Wahlberg too. So yeah, I just, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think there's something about that. Oh yeah. And Matt Damon in the informant is another great one. Like there's just, yep. it's just when they sort of just become less self-aware, self-conscious of how they look and decide to just get goofy and, you know, kind of, uh, not necessarily carefree, but yeah, carefree is probably a good word. Just like, but he, let it all hang even out. Even using David O. Russell, like I'm not, uh, this is certainly not the first time he's done comedy, but ro- getting Robert De Niro back to comedic roles that he's really good in, mm-hmm. in silver linings. And I would say joy to some degree. I think he's, he's really, fu- he's my favorite part. Well, maybe not favorite. It's pretty close, but one of my favorite things in silver linings. And I think he's amazing. And, yeah, yeah, no, I think th- he he does very well with comedy, and it's strange because my first Robert De Niro experience was Midnight Run, so I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, give me give me more of this. I'm I'm. <laughs> then again, I would go back and go, oh, actually, he's a you know great actor from the '70s who did a lot of uh, audacious work too. So there's no denying that. But yeah, I just I I guess you know when it comes to finding a really good balance between comedy and drama and, and, and pathos. It's like, you know, there's, there's a moment in three Kings. that's really shocking and sad. And, you know, a, a mother gets shot, you know, and it's like, I, I don't, th- I don't necessarily think O Russell gets, th- you know, that heavy, you know, throughout the rest of his career. I mean, there's certain moments for sure in silver linings, but like, just, I, I didn't find myself as moved uh, you know, and, and, but th- with three Kings, I did, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm really invested in this story and want things to work out at the same time. Like, yeah, these guys are being, you know, greedy assholes <laughs> for going after the gold, you know, and not caring for the other people, but then they change that. And that's, uh, it's a nice turn, nice turn for these characters to, you know, stop thinking about themselves for a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a strong scene. I mean, I have to admit, part of me is thinking, why would you like, 
I mean, yeah, you, you're assuming these American soldiers are just out for themselves, but like, why wouldn't you wait if you're going to do some murdering <laughs> until they leave? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, th that hesitation there is, mm, I know there's, yeah, there's just, mo there are moments in this from, I definitely get, I mean, it's obviously it's there to create tension. So it makes sense. You want to do that once in a while. Yeah. In an action movie too. Uh, I certainly haven't looked up like how accurate it is to the real story or anything like that. Does anyone? I never did that. I yeah, I should. I never. Is it based on a true well, story? I don't know if it even is. I think it's loosely, very loosely, maybe. I thought. It... Doesn't there like a hmm. title card at the beginning that says some of this is true or something? Hmm, I don't remember now. Yeah. I know like John Ridley, I think, came up with the story. Um, yeah, but, and apparently he stole it. No, Russell stole it, kind of. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's saying some, a Scotsman who inspired the Hollywood movie Three Kings died in 2012 or something. So, yeah, maybe it's very loosely based on reality. I I, I guess I had always assumed it was, and I, I think Joy is like that to some degree, too, where it's uh, pretty loosely based, and a lot of liberties are taken with the story um, of the inventor of the, the mop. And... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, it doesn't bother me. I, I just had never looked into it. I was curious, so. Mm. Yeah. I guess that's, do you prefer a movie that is accurate to reality or uh, a better movie that might twist the truth but is more entertaining or just, like I said, a better movie? What do you, what would I, you I, I say twist that truth. <laughs> I, I do too. Twist it forward. I mean, I, I think it depends. It depends if it's a very well-known story, right? Like if it's something where there's a lot of details out there that people are aware of, then it becomes harder to, to tweak it. But something like this, I think it's perfect. I guess to some degree, it depends how obvious it is that you're twisting the truth though. If that's kind of the point of the movie, I think that can be done well yeah. as well. It just, you know, it depends on the tone of the truth twisting, I suppose. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And certainly I know, you know, Jay has said in the past that even documentaries take liberties too, you know, and just because you, you, you have to create drama in some instances to hook the audience in. And I'm not saying like you should make up shit, <laughs> you know, but I, I can understand why you have to make a, you have to create a story out of something and there there's definitely going to be moments throughout that aren't actually accurate and as long as you are okay with that and you know don't find it ethically questionable you know i i certainly don't because i want to be entertained and if what happened isn't as entertaining <laughs> i guess you know don't go that route you know yeah i agree um so yeah i like i said this is a, a really strong film and we're going to jump ahead, I would say, 13 years to uh, David O. Russell's first book adaptation, a book of which I had read because of my interest in stories surrounding mental health. I had recently, at the time, graduated with uh, a bachelor's in psychology, and uh, this book was re recommended to me. And when I saw that he would be a, he was he was adapting it, I thought that is actually a pretty good fit, giving 
the uh, you know on on the page i was sensing that manic energy was going to be in this movie and it's def- definitely there but it's also turned into kind of a divisive film in my circles because i know people who love it and i know people who think it's insufferable and it's and that might have to do with just people having <laughs> again maybe almost a moral objection to portraying mental illness in this way and and not being entirely true or accurate and that's the thing that i struggle with a little bit but not to the extent where it takes away from my enjoyment either uh like the 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 main quibble i have is just the portrayal of that therapist because a good therapist would never engage with a client at a sporting event or go to their house and intervene like he does. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, but again, it's like, I know that these are things that are exaggerated for the purposes of comedy and, and, and entertainment. So it's, it's not something that I would say is bad. It's just something that, you know, is a, a bit of a red flag to me because like, even, even I know that there is no therapist who would deliberately try to trigger their client, especially on the first day. So like that scene is like, oh, don't no, don't don't make people think that therapy is like that because it isn't. Um, But again, this is a movie, so I'm not asking for an entire accurate portrayal of what it's like to be in therapy. That being said, I do think this is the Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence show. And for that alone, I still think it's a very, very, very good movie, very watchable, very entertaining. And like Frank mentioned, one of the strongest De Niro, more recent De Niro performances we've gotten to where I thought for sure he was going to win Best Supporting Actor that year. But um, I'm, I'm, I still enjoy this movie. It's one of those great romantic comedies that I'm entertained by and I care about these people. Um, you know, I, I, I definitely don't love this period of O. Russell as much as some of the early work, but I still think it's very, very good. Let's go with Sean first. Yeah, well, I mean, what you're saying is kind of interesting to me. I I loved the movie the first time I saw it, but I had this feeling in the back of my head like I'm I'm being kind of uh, won over by this film, but there's something here that maybe other people will have an issue with. And I I think it won the People's Choice Award at the Toronto Film Festival that year. I just had this feeling like there's going to be this backlash. And at the time, I don't really feel like it came. Maybe I missed it. No, not right away. You're right. So, I, but you know, I, I was kind of like, oh, okay, maybe people are cool with it. And obviously, yeah, the mental health stuff that you mentioned, like, I, I, I can't say how accurate the portrayal is. It felt a little bit like quirky and and you know, poking fun at some of this stuff. But I don't know, is that off limits? I don't think necessarily it should be. Well, uh, I don't know. I don't know if maybe I missed this, but. Apparently it's inspired by his own son in some way who I think dealt with mental health issues. And I don't think it's quite the same situation as Bradley Cooper's character in the movie, but I think that's how the book got recommended to him and stuff like that. So uh, Hmm. I, I I assume he had like some thoughts about that stuff when he made it again. I, uh, I, I don't fully understand that. So I don't want to say too much, like whether it's good or bad. I don't know. I guess I, it, I, I really enjoy the movie, but I, I just think I, that's why he made the movie. He said it's like his most personal movie in some ways because and his son is in the movie. He's the, uh, the student that tries <laughs> to record them or get an interview. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. So I, 
I think that was the inspiration for it. So I, th- I think he had some personal connection to what this might be like, but that still doesn't mean, you know, he couldn't get it wrong in some way. Yeah. Uh, it kind of makes sense. I, I mean, so, I mean, rewatching it now, I still loved it. And I would say this probably is up there with one of my favorite romantic comedies, but I, I'm really, it, it's, I think it's well-written. I think both Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence are super charming. And I mean, I just, I, I find it funny. Um, and, you know, ultimately I, I guess, you know, it feels realistic to some degree. I mean, obviously it's sort of uh, amped up a bit for <laughs> dramatic purposes, but like, you know, some of the relationship stuff and being stuck on a past relationship and thinking that you can still kind of um, make that happen while ignoring what's right in front of your face, like that feels very relatable. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and yeah, I still love this movie. Uh, yeah, I love it. I think it's my favorite David O. Russell movie by far. I think Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence and Robert De Niro are all amazing in the movie. My favorite scene by far is the diner sequence uh, when he orders the Raisin Bran and the Jennifer Lawrence in that scene is amazing. And then you just get the perfect exclamation point uh, for me that summarizes David O. Russell to some degree for me with slow down raisin brand when he's walking out the door. I just love <laughs> that line. <laughs> that is what I love. Uh, and why I love these movies. It's basically lines like that. And I, I think their chemistry is ridiculous. I, the, the whole idea of the dancing and betting. I mean, it is a feel good movie. I'm not surprised that it won uh, the people's choice award at uh, TIFF, but I, I find it very heartwarming and emotional and like it works as a family dynamic, uh, whether it's the, like that main emotional relationship or the romantic relationship, it all works for me. Everything about this movie works. Um, again, I hate to use the word again. I'm going to do it. It's entertaining. And, uh, (laughs) I, I watched it pretty recently did not mind rewatching it again one bit. I will watch it again in the near future. Uh, it's, it's a great movie, a great movie. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's amazing to me, like again, bringing up Alexander Payne, how in his movies, he can manage to find that balance of comedy and drama and, you know, make it, make it work, like add depth and dimension to the characters when they're being awkward and funny but also grounding them in ways that, yes, you relate to them, you know, and you understand what they're going through. I mean, it shows a lot of empathy and compassion for those who struggle with mood disorders. I I don't get the whole criticism of it's portraying mental illness like it's, you know, funny and we should be laughing at the fact that he has bipolar disorder and, oh, look at the wacky thing he did. I don't I don't get that impression at all. And some people, some people really, and I'm, you know, they have a personal, personal reasons and their own life experiences and the people that they've dealt with, I'm sure plays a role into their reaction. But I, I, I really do think O'Russell has compassion, you know, and not like, let's make fun of the, you know, mentally ill at all, you know? Uh, and, And like there's scenes like De Niro up, you know, sitting on the bed with, with, with Bradley Cooper 
that really do add a lot of emotional weight that like, you know, that father's son relationship is strong. The, the, the friendship he has with John Ortiz, I think is kind of unsung. I think that's a really uh, like the scenes they have together are really, really great uh, and funny. Yeah. So I, well, I think I, the movie embraces the idea of like, facing those problems and talking about them, right? Like I think there's yeah. a, a kind of a subtle thing with people in his family, like Robert De Niro's character, where there's like clearly OCD stuff going on and other issues that, you know, like has led to him being banned or like just anger issues that have led to him being banned from stadiums and stuff like that. And, you know, he's like past probably stigmas in his generation he's never really talked about it or done anything about it so i think the movie is saying like it's good to talk about these things or to that you know there's no reason why people can't you know get better like like improve their mental health or take steps to do that stuff and uh i don't know i i i just you know it all gets focused through uh jennifer lawrence and bradley cooper and they make it work i i they are great on screen together. And, you know, the scenes where it's kind of first person with uh, Jennifer Lawrence dancing and facing the camera and stuff like that. Like, I think she is like so good on screen in this movie. And uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like, she's really, I think I looked at, I think she's 22 when she did this. Like she's still like super young and uh, like, I can't like, she feels like much older, like a super experienced uh, actor when she's doing this movie. It's hard to believe how young she was when she did this. And she won the Academy Award. And I, that year I said, give it to her, man. You know? Yeah. I, I think she should. I think she's amazing at it. How do you guys feel about the, um, the whole gambling thing? Like you mentioned Frank, sort of the OCD issues that De Niro has in the movie. Mm. And I'm a little bit torn on that, like the whole, the parlay thing. Like it's oh, cool. I love and it. and I it's love it. <laughs> like, I love the heart of like the whole thing is you're betting on, you know, your son and, and that kind of, you know, makes it this, you know, edge of your seat thing that you're rooting for them. But at the same time, it does feel a little bit like it's pretty clear. This guy has a problem and yet, you know, the, the resolution to it is double down on that problem. You know what I mean? I don't think he's doubling down on the problem. I think he's, you know, he's, he's going to bet. And his whole reason for betting is to, you know, tell his son that he believes in him and I'm willing to, you know, gamble everything I have on the fact that, you know, you're going to succeed in what you do. I guess that's how I interpret it. I, I, he's, it'd be different. He was betting on him to fail. He's not, he's betting on him to succeed. Uh, <laughs> So, I mean, I don't know. It's And doesn't he also want to open up a restaurant and get and get the money to open up a cheesesteak restaurant? Is that, is that what he's doing? Something like that. I mean, like it's I mean, I get the sense that the restaurant idea is something he's always talked about and never really happens. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's that's true or not, but uh Yeah, yeah I mean, I, it, I, he's it, and I think it's an interesting a very subtle dynamic in the movie is the other brother as well. And there's like a really awkward conversation uh, when they see each other for the first time uh, in a long time in the movie and the stuff with the pictures and all that. Oh, right. I don't know. All, all that stuff. Like that's a, like a C storyline or something like that, but I, I think it works pretty well. And I think uh, Chris Tucker is really good in it. As well. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot he was in this, but yeah, he's fun. Yeah. He's, su he surprised a lot of people for sure. And 
Well, he surprises everybody by showing up a lot randomly in this, and that's enjoyable. Uh, you know, uh, Julia Stiles is someone who I wish would work more, and you know, she has a small role here uh, as as uh, Jennifer Lawrence's sister. So there's like there's just very familiar family issues that I think are relatable, and they and that that sort of e- eruptive scene where everybody gets together in that living room and has kind of their outburst is what I think is that's pure O Russell right there, you know, where everybody is being very expressive and being very emotional and sometimes talking over each other in like a Robert Altman kind of way that I really respond to like that, that whole scene where Jennifer Lawrence just, you know, gives uh, De Niro all the sports stats and everything. It's like that's to me when she. I mean, she says, you know, you got you got a point. She's making a lot of sense. Yeah, <laughs> like I, like I've seen that a million times, and it still makes me laugh every time. And it's true because it does make a lot of sense. I'm superstitious about sports stuff too, and it's, it's it like it work. That line works so well, and his delivery is perfect. And Jackie Weaver, uh, she was nominated for an Oscar as well, and she is uh, excellent in the movie. The whole cast is amazing. I think this is the first time. Um, John Ortiz and uh, Shea Wiggum kind of, I was like, oh, they're really good. And I think they showed up in a lot of stuff, stuff after I'm sure they were in stuff before, but I remember this movie kind of being like, oh, uh, these guys are really good too. So anyway, I, I love it. I really like it. I, 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 part of me is like, I guess hesitant to fully give it the, you know, the, the full five stars. And I think a lot of that is just, you know, hearing different perspectives that make me question, well, maybe they're right. But then there's a lot of people and a couple of them I'm actually going to read because they had some thoughts. And I don't I don't always take input from 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 the listeners. But when they, they contact me directly and say, hey, I have thoughts on O'Russell. I'm like, all right, let's 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 bring him to the party here. Uh, Robert Ryan and from Still Watching the Skies says, I like the fact that Pat never stops taking his medication and actively goes to therapy. He sets reasonable goals, gets support from his family and friends, and the big triumph is a mathematically average score. Love doesn't necessarily conquer all in the way that some people say that it does, but love plus medication plus therapy plus support uh, works, and you get to a place where happiness is possible and life is manageable. That's a good point too. I like, I agree. And I think the, uh, the 5.0 thing is awesome that they're so happy about getting a, a five. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And, and they should be like in the context of how they're doing it. I think that's another very, uh, likable thing about the movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, uh, quickly, friend and film writer Sharon Sharon Jissy. Uh, She wrote a great review of this movie, actually, at my other website, VoicesVisions.net. And she feels that, you know, David O. Russell accomplished his mission of understanding bipolar disorder. This film demonstrates a keen understanding and an ability to communicate that understanding to others. And this is coming from someone who, you know, in in her review related a lot to Pat because she went through a very troubling divorce and saw this at a very vulnerable time in her life. So I'd like to think that movies like this, you know, people can relate to and learn to understand what it's like living with bipolar disorder. And, 
I mean, I guess one can sort of view like his manic outbursts as being funny, you know, and maybe that's where I have like some reservations, you know, like the fact that he's waking up his parents, you know, at four in the morning to talk about a book or something might seem funny to, you know, to some degree, but it's also sad, <laughs> you know? So, but I, again, like, I think he finds that right balance of tone, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So yeah. Yeah. Silver Lane's playbook. Pretty, pretty damn good. Gotta say. Um, but I think we're going to talk about some other David O. Russell movies, including a genuine surprise from Frank, which, uh, I gotta say, I'm, this is, this is where we'll, we'll part ways a little bit. Cause I, 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 I think joy is kind of structurally a mess and I, I really don't like the soap opera stuff. Um, but in, the, the, the performance on a rewatch, I was surprised at how I remember the soap opera stuff the most. Like I, I remember those kind of dream sequences and I was surprised how little they're actually in the movie on a rewatch. Like they're just kind of here and there. They all, they do play more like dream sequences than an integral part of the movie. But I, I saw my star rating in letterbox ahead of time and it was a four and a half. And I'm like, I don't remember liking it that much. I have a feeling this is going to go down. And for the first 20 minutes, I was feeling that way. And then once the actual entrepreneurship stuff kind of takes over uh, and it's, it's less, I mean, the family drama is still there and that's a huge part. And like we said, it's what he does well, but I, I don't know. I, we've talked about this on film junk, my emotional state these days. Uh, I don't know if it's the pandemic or, you know, turning 40 or what, but I find myself like emotionally worked up a lot more watching movies. And I had emotional highs and lows during joy that I never would have thought. Like I dropped tear, which is how we refer to crying on film. Wow. Uh, Twice, twice. (laughs) Wow. Two different sequences. I dropped tear, and uh, I reached like a level of anger that I really don't have that often when I'm watching movies. And the last time I can remember being this angry is in the climax, so to speak of Ford V Ferrari. Uh, <laughs> with that, I don't know if you've seen that Jim. Uh, yeah. I don't remember a whole lot from it. Surprisingly. Well, basically I didn't know the story of uh, the, how, whether or not he had won or lost the race. Oh, and I okay. was like, he kind of gets screwed and I did not know that. And I was like, so angry. Uh, and I'm like, if that was me in that race, I would lose my mind. <laughs> like it was a palpable anger. Uh, I had that in this movie, the scene when her family is basically ganging up on her and telling her to sign the bankruptcy forms. And I don't like her whole family turning on her. And I, I just, I was so angry in that scene. And mm. I thought, I thought it worked incredibly well. And I, like in any other movie, she, they, you know, you'd refuse to sign that paper and it'd be like, you know, you want your, your hero to say like, no, I refuse to sign this. And she signs it. And then that is, and in the moment you're like, oh, she shouldn't have signed it, but she should have, she knew what to do. She knew that that was the right thing to do. And she turned it like around for her completely. And it was her way to kind of cut ties with, you know, people who are, 
bringing her down in her life. And I, I don't know. I just loved that moment and how that's like this kind of reversal of fortune moment in a movie that is kind of the antithesis of how family works. So the way that the family is a drain and then in the epilogue or conclusion, you know, she recognizes that her family is a drain and still supports them. Uh, I don't know. I just, everything was kind of working for me and I thought Jennifer Lawrence was great in it. And uh, I don't know. I, I, the her, just the story of that character. I realize it's not that, you know, there's a lot of liberties taken in terms of what actually happened, but I thought it worked amazing. I, I don't, I don't know why I wasn't expecting it. It came out of nowhere. Maybe it's because I thought, you know, this is not going to be that great on a rewatch. Maybe it's because I watched it on 4k physical media. We got a 4k Y uh, lubing situation for that star rating. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, it was, uh, I was loving it. Well, in the true spirit of film junk, allow me to play something for my roadcaster sound pad. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. <laughs> At no point in your rambling, incoherent response, Billy Madison, were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought? <laughs> Disagree. <laughs> Get real. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I feel special. Anyway, I, uh, I, I really do. Uh, I was yeah. I watched this in 4K. I will agree. It actually looks really great. Like some movies, you kind of go, okay, well, obviously, I'm expecting The Matrix to be amazing in 4K. But then you watch something like Joy, and you kind of have low expectations, and then suddenly it's like, wow, this thing really pops. It looks beautiful. I was really happy with the cinematography, uh, but I don't know why. I just don't care. As I, I was really, shocked. I love the. I'll tell you a moment that even though it's going to sound really lame for some reason, emotionally got me going. It's when she goes to the, the shopping channel or whatever, and they say they're not going to see her. And I know it's lame, but Bradley Cooper saying like basically giving her a chance, like this idea of, you know, fate and just the chance that something happens. And, you know, I don't know, I, for whatever reason, I feel like, I was, I was loving the idea of someone just, you know, getting that chance where you think everything's hopeless. Some little, a door opens just a crack and that's all it takes. And, you know, being more open to giving people chances or, mm. or like, you know, giving people the benefit of the doubt, uh, at, at work and stuff like that. Sometimes, I don't know. I just, I, for whatever reason, I was in the mood for this movie. It was, uh, it was work. You got a lot of joy out of the rewatch. So that's, I did. that's good. Sean, <laughs> what did you think of joy? I, well, I didn't rewatch it, but at the time I remember being pretty disappointed with it as well. I mean, I thought it had some cool ideas. I, I kind of feel like I liked the dream sequence, the, the soap opera stuff, but, um, mm. It didn't really come I, together for me. I don't want to bring up a painful memory or a, maybe a, a lack of memory on your part there, Sean, but uh, I think maybe you had gotten this movie from the library or something like that. And <laughs> some of those sequences were missing. That sounds familiar. <laughs> wow. It was an edited version. Yeah. Oh yes. Well, <laughs> what we refer to as the library <laughs> means uh, obtaining a movie uh, through um, nefarious means. Okay. 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 <laughs> 
anyway, sorry to bring that up. That can be uh, taken out if necessary. Oh, no, it's, it's up to Jim. I don't know if that needs to be scrubbed from the record. Know, but, okay. uh, <laughs> I, I secretly bring up certain ways of attaining things, but I don't necessarily spell it out either. That's fine. It's fine. It's totally fine. Um, yeah, I I think I saw this on Christmas Day. and uh, Yeah, I guess it's kind of a Christmas movie. There's a lot of snow or more towards the end. Yeah, yeah. it came out on Christmas 2015. Anyway. It's probably not as good as this five-star rating that I gave it on Letterboxd this time, but this watch was a five-star watch. That's all I can do. Give it the star rating that matches my experience on that viewing. And uh, I was loving it. Hmm. Well, maybe one. Sorry, I'm quick. sorry you didn't like it, Jim. I don't know. It, it happens, you know. Who cares? Um, you know, we, we're all have different opinions. There's There's nothing we can do. It's just, it, it's, we're not always going to see eye to eye and that's okay. I mean, it's like, I don't know. I almost felt like you, oh, Russell's going through the motions in that one. And, you know, Bradley Cooper is kind of lazy. I don't know. There's just, there's something off. I almost felt like he got burnt out or something. Like I just didn't feel that energy was as consistent in this one. Uh, whereas like, you know, something like American Hustle, I don't think is a great movie by any stretch, but I'm still entertained because of this ensemble. And anything involving con artists is also very entertaining to like to, to tr just trying to watch these characters pull off what they're pulling off, especially with the chic, you know, it's like, I, I can't help but laugh and, you know, want to see them succeed to some degree. You know, I, I, I think that that ensemble works so well together, even if there was tension on set, surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I l remember really liking American hustle and, I watched that as well. And I mean, the thing I like about American hustle is certain performances. Like I think yeah. Christian Bale as always is amazing. Uh, this is my opportunity to bring up. I, I mean, we're all members of the bald brotherhood. Is it correct? Correct. Correct. So I had the inspiration to try to grow out my horseshoe like fully <laughs> and <laughs> for a year in order to achieve uh, a proper comb over to do a Christian Bale Halloween costume from American hustle. <laughs> and I, I had to abandon it after five months. <laughs> I couldn't do it, <laughs> but uh, I think Christian Bale is hilarious in uh, American hustle. It's my favorite thing in the movie. And I do think uh, Bradley Cooper is pretty funny as well. When he's mocking <laughs> Louis CK on the couch, uh, that's a very funny moment. Um, but I, I didn't find myself, you know, really, I, I mean, I still like it. I find it, you know, kind of like all David O. Russell movies, entertaining and a pretty fun watch. But it definitely wasn't clicking on as many cylinders as I remember. And overall, thematically, um, I don't think it's as interesting as Joy. I think as, a, as an entire idea or story, Joy is more cohesive. American Hustle feels like he's having more fun. Like it's more of a fun movie. I don't know if it's as, as great of a, a motion picture. Well, the main, the main criticism lauded at that movie in particular is just, it so wants to be a Scorsese movie, mm -hmm. you know, and you can, and you feel that, 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 that voiceover, the use of music and everything. It's just kind of like, yes, we know you love Scorsese. We get it. And I, and I don't mind even pale imitations of it sometimes, but for me, it's just like the acting buffet is really tasty. <laughs> in this, yeah, I really, 
I like the relationship between uh, Christian Bale and Jeremy Renner in the movie. That like, too. Yeah. That's, that's surprisingly effective. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did not remember that about the movie and I thought that worked uh, pretty well. It's got to be a tough situation for you, Frank, when one populist auteur is ripping off another populist auteur. <laughs> that's it's like, true. Who do you I side mean, with? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't side with anyone per se, but I mean, it's, it is evident. Although it's weird. I don't, I, I obviously see what Jim's saying about it trying to be a Scorsese movie, but I, I certainly wasn't conscious of it when I was watching it this time. It did. I guess I see the, Oh, Russell-isms of it to uh, some degree, especially ha- after watching Silver Linings Playbook. I, I feel th- I'm feeling that vibe, or maybe it's because I knew I was doing this podcast. I was kind of focused more on what he was uh, kind of bringing his aesthetic to the table. But uh, yeah, it's 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 good. I still think it's kind of a forced feed for me. I, I'm rating it higher than probably it actually is. It's probably a four and I logged it as a, a light four and a half. So heavy 3.5 for me, but yeah, I, I, I can see the argument for a four. It's definitely very funny in spots. Uh, and I, I, I do have a thing for like movies that use old surveillance and just the idea of con men in general is inherently entertaining of watching people try to imitate other people or basically pull off something to me like i think but i also it's weird because i do think de niro's good in joy and really great in silver linings but here he's kind of cringy i thought it's, it's like playing another yeah. mobster you know type yeah i don't think he's great in it yeah he's, i mean it's a small well, part we not you know it's almost it's, it's more like a cameo like even when i first saw it, i was like oh shit i didn't know he was in this yeah what do you think sean uh, well, again, I didn't rewatch this one recently, but I do remember kind of having fun with it, but just feeling like I wanted more out of it. And I feel like that's kind of the same story for a lot of the more recent David O. Russell stuff, like the past decade or so. Yeah, I, I'm with you, but I, my, my love, my love is really with the earlier stuff, despite, you know, obviously liking Silver Linings and American Hustle. Well, love, I should say love Silver Linings. But his his manic lunacy early on with flirting with disaster and I Heart Huckabees. I mean, I know I know it's subjective, but for me, these are kind of top-tier comedies for me. I and I go back to Huckabees quite a bit because I just love that cast and I love Mark Wahlberg so much in this movie. It's you know, every nearly every gesture, everything he does is funny to me. Um, it's clear that he works very well with O. Russell, uh, but I, I just, I don't know, man. There's this idea of opposing philosophical forces colliding in their attempts to help other people find some kind of meaning in their lives is really kind of this wonderful idea. And it, if it weren't for one shot involving breast milk, it would be, it would be perfect. <laughs> it really would. See, I. I like the idea. It seems to be getting at this balance thing in a very like quirky way. Uh, and I think everything is like taking s- certain personality types or approaches to life. Like whether, whether you can focus on, you know, if you really start to break everything down or focus on everything that's wrong, you can get lost in that. Yeah, and yeah. You can also become detached from 
things if you don't look at certain things from that perspective. And, you know, I understand that. Like, I, I like that general idea of the movie. Uh, I think ultimately, again, it's the comedy that works for me, whether I think Jude Law, Jude Law's character is really funny and Mark Wahlberg's. Uh, if it wasn't for those characters, they kind of counteract the pretentiousness of the movie, which uh, <laughs> if, th- if those characters weren't there, I, I really don't think I would like it. Um, but they, they're there to like, just kind of be ridiculous. And, you know, it does kind of break up the pretension. It, re- it reminds me of Magnolia in some ways. Like I think it's, tr- it thinks it's more profound than it actually is. And ooh, uh, ooh. careful. <laughs> I'm, I'm confident in that statement, <laughs> but uh, I, I still like it overall. And, and I remember lo- thinking Jude law was amazing <laughs> the first time I saw it. And I still kind of do, <laughs> although I did have even more appreciation for Mark Wahlberg in it on this viewing, but um, yeah, it's still uh, a, a movie I like revisiting from time to time. Yeah. It's very rewatchable. It's on stars. That's the, Disney plus. I don't know if it's called stars in the United States. Uh, the addition to Disney plus with a lot of Fox movies, but it's I do have to say star, not stars. Cause stars with the Z. Oh, sorry. Like I subscribed thing. to stars this week too. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's why I'm confusing them, but I have to say for whatever reason, there's an error in the way it's metadata or whatever it is, is set up on Disney plus and the credits started rolling at 45 minutes and what? every, yeah. Really? And, and so I had to like navigate and like, okay, I don't want to switch to something else. Keep playing the movie. And then for whatever reason, I had to pause this movie or stop it a couple times. I'm sure Sean's knows I do that a lot, but every time I would go to restart it, it would start at the beginning again. And I would have to scroll all the way to, you know, the point I was at. And I mean, that's just a, quality of life disaster with streaming services. If, <laughs> if they screw up the end credit time, forget it. You know, that's a clearly the you're con- the only one who's watched this movie on the <laughs> Yeah. So no far. one else has locked any complaints. <laughs> I guess I should, uh, contact their is this out on, assurance. Is, is this team. out on Blu-ray? Like give it the deluxe treatment in my opinion. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, did it I ever don't know get a Blu-ray is. release? I have a digital copy of it. So, I know for a long time it was not out on Blu-ray, but I don't recall if they ever actually did put one out. Sean, is this a, a DVD you upgraded? It is. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I rewatched this as well. I had not seen it in quite some time. And I remember when it came out, I was so excited. I was like, oh, this is going to be my movie. Like, I, you know, the weird philosophical stuff and the quirky comedy. And I was just like, it's perfect. And I mean, it did seem a little bit like trying to be like a Charlie Kaufman kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, and then I saw it and I was like, I don't know. I just didn't like, there was some funny stuff in it, but like the deeper themes did not really click for me and rewatching it this time. I would say I liked it a bit more and I do kind of like, you know, these opposing philosophies and how everybody kind of, comes to their own sort of realization. I I find that when it starts focusing on Jude Law and Naomi Watts, I lose a bit of interest. And I don't know if it's like, I think it's kind of fun that they get pulled into the existential thing as well. And it kind of is, you know, in fitting with the theme of the film, but 
I just like the pairing of Mark Wahlberg and Jason Schwartzman. And I guess, you know, when the movie veers away from them, I'm like, go back. I, I want to see more of them. Aren't so. you not entertained by Jude Law's breakdown to some degree? Like, how am I not myself? How am I not myself? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's some okay stuff there. But I don't know. Maybe it's just this expectation that he's, you know, in, he's introduced as sort of the rival to Jason Schwartzman. And I just never really felt like I got on board with caring about him uh, okay. throughout the film. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think it's still, you know, it's pretty funny. It's got some pretty uh, like the whole uh, visual thing they do where like the bits of the faces come off and stuff. Like it's kind of doesn't look great, <laughs> yeah, but, no, but I kind of like it. <laughs> I kind of like it. Please. And I like the score as well. The uh, John Bryan, yes. Yeah. Talk about like Charlie Kaufman, you know, like yeah. it, it definitely feels in that, like it's in a part of that universe to some degree. And even if everything's kind of spelled out directly, I like what they're saying, <laughs> you know, and like, I really think there's this heartfelt scene where we learn about the death of Jason Schwartzman's cat. And it's interesting casting, having Jason Schwartzman's actual mom, playing his mom with uh, Tyler Shire. I don't know. Oh, right. I find that really interesting. Like there's little things like that because apparently David O. Russell likes to hang out and, and visit the houses of his actors for a good long time, like six to eight months or something before making at least this movie. So he visits every actor in his movies for six to eight months. <laughs> before making Definitely for this movie. For for this, he like wanted to get to know his actors very deeply and intimately, and have existential conversations and and sort of like infuse them into his script, which is oh my god, this is making me want to bring down my story. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's like I guess you got yes, you like a therapist, you should have boundaries. I would say, um, but I I. It's, that's it's like he's like he's an existential detective for all the people he wants oh. to cast. He's just hanging around <laughs> rooting through their garbage and stuff. <laughs> it is very pretentious, but like almost like Southland Tales, charming pretentiousness to me, at least. I don't know why. I I guess only because of Jude Law and Shania Twain. I think those are the only the only it, like it's the perfect counterbalance to uh to the pretension so i like i can take it because then it like i'm like okay now we're getting a little wacky here and uh i mean i don't dislike dustin hoffman or lily tomlin or isabel huper in the movie but i i they're not my favorite part of the movie by any means i don't know if there were like a short mini series with them as existential detectives going around helping other people i'd be into that I don't know. Yeah, I, I like them. I, I love the scene where they're like running through the sprinklers and just goofy stuff like that. Uh, there was first appearance by Jonah Hill in this movie. I was surprised mm -hmm. by that. Yeah. Not that he has that much screen time, but it's kind of weird. Yeah. Again, Richard Jenkins showing up briefly uncredited here for a very memorable scene. Another dinner table scene. There's a lot of families getting together and having dinner. And there's always awkwardness involved. He's just so good at that, without doubt. Um, that the the Silver Linings Playbook dinner, <laughs> that's very funny. Uh, but with with something like flirting with disaster, for me, Richard Jenkins tripping on acid 
is about as good as movies get like that that was not as tired of a trope when that first came out you know i mean i'm sure it had been done before like you know a character on unintentionally (laughs) taking drugs and having a trip is something i'm sure been done in comedies before that but there's just something about richard jenkins um and uh lily tomlin trying to guide him like i don't know there's just scenarios and scenes and flirting with disaster that crack me up uh you know and they they just work on that level of complete slapsticky absurdism without being you know forced it just feels all character driven and you know this this was like ben stiller doing the ben stiller thing before it got kind of tiresome with the meet the parents movies you know so I I am so on board with flirting with disaster. And that's a, an early example of David Russell uh, using his strengths and also kind of not calling attention to the, the, the queer characters. You know, the, the fact that Josh Brolin and Richard Jenkins are in a relationship in the film is not something that like is explicit, like, oh, clearly they're, you know, gay. Oh, they're, they're just they're just in a relationship. And I think I. I appreciate the fact that he, you know, sort of just lets that be what it is and not go, Oh, it's, it's time to get wacky with the gay characters. <laughs> like in something like happy Texas or something, you know? So, uh, yeah, I, I, I really, I, whenever I go back to flirting with disaster, I do think it's a, it's a comedy classic for me. Well, it's the only one on the list that I haven't seen. Well, I guess aside from accidental love, which I attempted to watch, but, didn't actually watch it's pretty bad but not horrible. I, didn't, I didn't mind it yeah it's not, <laughs> it's not horrible you know i mean i it was like a three out of five for me is in the fact that i'd heard it's the worst thing ever and you know i see R- o russell's imprint on it a bit with the cinematography and how it's filmed uh i guess the the political it's more of a political satire in some ways and that that kind of worked for me, I guess, on a commentary on how like politics and lobbying and bills can work, and along with the media, including some of the the Girl Scout stuff and how that plays out. And I don't know. I thought it was okay. It certainly wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh, I, I I thought Jennifer uh, Jennifer Beale, is it? no Jessica, Jessica Beale. Beale. <laughs> not, uh, sorry, not <laughs> not Dirty Dancing yet, but. Uh, yeah, I thought uh, she was pretty good in it. I mean, I I hadn't seen her oh, in a lot of okay. like, not non rom com stuff. I did, I thought she was pretty good, and uh, I mean, this is Marsden uh, hamming it up for the first time. He would go on to do Sonic the Hedgehog and uh, <laughs> just be known for his improvising on set. But uh, <laughs> I I thought it was. Uh, not horrible as I'd been led to believe, but certainly probably his worst movie that I can think of. Yeah, I would say it's his worst. And I don't know. Jake Gyllenhaal. To be fair, not directed. Uh, he uses a pseudonym, Stephen Green, I think. Yeah. In the picture. Yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal really acts a lot with his eyes bulging out a lot. <laughs> I don't know. Some like. Every letterbox review is basically the things I'll do for Jake Gyllenhaal. And I'm just like, I can't stand it. Mm. That's all. That's all it is. It's, it's not that bad. 
Nah. Yes. The story behind this movie seems a little more interesting than the movie itself, but I don't really like, so did David O. Russell shoot everything and then they just, he left and then they edited what was left or did somebody come in and, and do additional the article Jim had said, I think it was everything, but the, uh, like the main, there's a sequence where she gets a nail, uh, right. put into her head. I think it seemed like everything, but some key coverage of that scene. I think if I remember the article correctly. So I think most of it had been shot. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's my recollection as well. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, like Tracy Morgan's kind of funny and uh, Paul Rubens shows up like, again, he's so good at assembling casts, you know, like that, that alone is like, Oh, I'm excited to see all these people working together, you know, and, and seeing what they, what they pull off. But it's also very forgettable <laughs> at the same time, you know, like when it was over, I'm like, okay, well that happened. And nothing really memorable stands out other than other moments that you are done much better in, in other movies that he's done, but no, it's not the worst thing ever for sure. Just kind of, you know, forced. It felt more forced this time for me, as opposed to like a little bit more natural. Yeah. It's weird. Like, I wonder if like, obviously he take taking his name off the movie would seem to indicate that he doesn't really consider it a David O. Russell film. It shouldn't really, be a part of his filmography and discussing it. But yet, I mean, if he literally shot all the scenes, uh, I mean, it's a little, I mean, obviously if he wasn't in, involved in the editing that could change the movie quite a bit, but um, it's a strange one, right? Yeah. It also has like four screenwriters and usually he's the sole credit on all of his movies as the screenwriter. So there's clear, right. there's clearly had to have been some, some conflict there. I think the only one we haven't really talked about in mind as well, very briefly, is uh, The Fighter, which I think is fine. <laughs> you know, like, I think it's fine for what it is. And it's the only movie that I believe he did not write. Yeah, I really like The Fighter. I had rewatched it semi-recently, so I didn't watch it again. But uh, I remember seeing it in theaters after being hyped up a bit and thinking, yeah, it was okay. But, I mean, two weeks removed from it without watching it again, I was in my head. I'm like, no, it's way better than I thought it was. And mm. I think Christian Bale is uh, amazing in it. And um, why can't I think of her name? Amy Adams. Nope. Although oh, she's Melissa, too, Melissa Leo. Melissa Leo. Yeah. She won the Oscar for it and was loving that she won the Oscar for it. I remember that. Uh, like the. Uh, it, She's great in it. I mean, the whole, the whole movie, I just think it, it, it kind of captures or was the first movie bo- that has this new aesthetic for David O. Russell stuff that, you know, all of his movies since then have kind of had. And I think it, it works really well in that film. And I like the fighting sequences as well. I, I love the fighter and uh, it might show up on my top three. Holy cow. <laughs> I, I mean, I like the fighter too. I it's like to me, it kind of falls into the category of I wanted to like it more, but I wouldn't call it a disappointment either. Like it, it's solid. And, yeah, yeah, I'd I say it's solid. Performances are good. Yeah, again, it's worth watching for the after. It's like I'm, I feel like a broken record at this point. You know, yeah. like, but it's apparently there's a sequel coming out. 
I mean, or there will be. It says as of 2021, there is a sequel in development. I don't think O'Russell is involved, though, because it just says Mark Wahlberg has been involved with developing a sequel, which is weird, but okay. (laughs) Yeah, I remember hearing about that. I don't know if it's kind of fallen off the map a bit. Uh, yeah, who knows? That, who, like, who knows with this pandemic what what's going to get actually get made? Well, it looks like he was Mark Wahlberg was talking about it in 2019, which is more recent than I thought. So maybe it's still a possibility. I mean, he might have mentioned it in passing in an interview. Like that's what can turn into a news story these days. Like <laughs> that's true. I don't know. It's an Entertainment Weekly article it says Mark Wahlberg talks the fighter sequel. Looks like it's that's specifically what he wanted to talk about, but right. he might have been part of another, another interview. It also could have been an attempt to, you know, get more traction on it or get funding. Yeah, definitely. Well, before we reveal our top three, let's also briefly mention the fact that uh, there is a new David O. Russell film in development. His first in, geez, six years now. How long has it been since joy? Is it that long? Six years. Yep. Wow. Yep. That's crazy. Um, but again, all he had a TV cast. show. Yeah, I know. He had a TV show that was supposed to happen. And then I think as part of the, the Harvey Weinstein stuff, it got canceled. Mm. I think it was through the Weinstein company. Yeah. But for me, the, in this new untitled O'Russell film, I'm, I, I hope Michael Shannon has a nice juicy role because I think he can be very funny. I, I actually do think he can, he's got comedic chops. Uh, and yeah, again, you got Christian Bale and De Niro in this, apparently Mike Myers, Chris Rock. Yeah. Anya Taylor-Joy, uh, Margot Robbie, Zoe Saldana, Rami Malek, De Niro's back, Timothy Oliphant, Andrea Riesborough, John David Washington, who I think is the star with, uh, Bale with, uh, or Margot Robbie, Robbie, I think are the main two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris Rock and Mike Myers, as you said. Yeah. So it's, uh. Pretty interesting cast, no doubt. I hope it happens. I hope he doesn't alienate people and drive them crazy. And uh, like I like I said in in my uh, parody song for this episode, David O. Russell, don't be an asshole. You know, just 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 be a nice guy. Be, seriously, be a nice guy on set. Hopefully, you've done some anger management or gone to therapy and has, have worked through your issues. Maybe that's why it has taken a while. But. Uh, yeah, that's really the only thing. I, that's hey, David Russell, if you're listening, I hope you take that advice, or if you haven't already, um, we're ready to wrap it up here. This is a this is a tough top three for me personally because uh, I like them all. Um, but really quickly, uh, since I got an email, I'm going to read off listener George's. Uh, he he ranked all of his films, so I'm just going to read them off really quick. And I because I've never actually gotten a list before the episode recorded from from a listener. So I'm going to do that this time. Uh, his top nine of Oliver Russell's films are Nine, American Hustle, Eight, The Fighter, Seven, Joy, Six, Silver Linings, Five, Accidental Love, wow, uh, Four, Spanking the Monkey, Three, I Heart Fuckabees, uh, Two, Three Kings, Number One, Flirting with Disaster. What an interesting ranking here, hmm. really. Yeah, my, my his... Well, I guess except for his very bottom one is his bottom three are my top three. So. <laughs> That's rare. That's rare indeed. Frank, what what is your top three David O. Russell films? My number three is Joy. 
My number two is The Fighter. And number one is Silver Linings Playbook. Holy cow. <laughs> uh, I can go next, I guess. Mm-hmm. So my number three is The Fighter. My number two is Three Kings. And my number one is Silver Linings Playbook. Actually a pretty easy list for me. Okay. Okay. Um, I guess I'm just, I'm just, I'll watch The Fighter again. Maybe I should like it a little bit more than I do. But number three is Silver Linings Playbook. Number two is Three Kings. And number one, I Heart Huckabees. Yes, I love it that much. I'm crazy. <laughs> wow. Okay. No, I just, cool. I do. Every time I go back to it, I, I, I love every second of it. So, yeah, I'm weird. I have my moments. <laughs> But, uh, well, based on, like you said, your, you know, your degree and stuff like that and interests, I think it's a, it makes sense. Yeah. I'd love to become an existential detective instead of a librarian. Like I just decided within the past few years to be, which is a good fit as well, but hell, I, 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 I'd love to help out people find meaning in their lives. Well, I think more about your degree in psychology and stuff like that. Like, I think it, it's dealing a lot with, uh, you know, how people manifest their personalities or stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And Charlie Kaufman is my favorite screenwriter, even though I was a little, little bit underwhelmed with his last film. Like I just, the, the way that movie ends once, uh, once she gets to the high school in that movie, I don't know. Again, I was really surprised that I didn't have the same kind of love for it the way I do with like Synecdoche and his other work really. So but oh well, it happens. You can't love everything by uh, by your favorite filmmakers and, and writers. Although, well, you, you just gotta force feed it. That's all. Yeah, I think I will. <laughs> you, you love every Christopher Nolan movie, right, Frank? Pretty much. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Try. I was trying to think if there's one I don't like, and I don't think it exists. Except, I, I mean, I haven't watched Following in a long time. That would probably be my least favorite. Yeah, makes sense. Am I missing one, Sean? No, I mean, I would think following or insomnia maybe, but I love insomnia. (laughs) Uh, I like getting a good night's sleep personally, but um, (laughs) thanks guys. This was a blast. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that you guys came back to talk about a very interesting director. Uh, I'll have to do it again. Maybe next year. We'll think we'll, we'll, we'll brainstorm and see if we can come up with something else that you'd be eager to talk about. Uh, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't mind because the Christopher Nolan episode was like episode 20, <laughs> you know, like, I, God, what was the, what was the latest one? It definitely wasn't Dunkirk. So it must've been Tenet. Come on. Well, no, I mean like the, when we recorded that episode, oh, okay, okay, okay. I can't remember what like the latest one was because it was so long ago. It was crazy. I mean, we definitely talked Memento and the prestige. But there's like so much you could talk about if you did a sequel episode to Christopher Nolan. Um, and I know there was. Oh, I know. Michael Mann was another one I was thinking of. Uh, just like, love let, Michael Mann. Let's get, I'm a fan man. <laughs> I'm a fan of it. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> let's. Yeah. You know, let's let's plan on, you know, venturing out. You do an action director or someone like Michael Mann. Yeah, I'd be I'd be I'd be all for that. Um, but for now, let's just, just plug away. I am on a year, year long radio silence. I'm not allowed to talk about Christopher Nolan films. So yeah, that's true. And that, will, <laughs> that it, this will definitely be like, you know, 
later in next year or something. But someone's probably going to be mad at me because I just said his name right. Right yeah, so, I think uh, you've broken the silence, so I think it doesn't <laughs> apply anymore, Frank. No, I'm sticking to it, Sean. <laughs> okay, I won't ask any questions about tenants. I, there's no answers, Jim. Don't worry. Like I have no idea where this came from either. Yeah, it's it's an interesting choice. Very interesting. Okay, where 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 can we find you guys um, over on the internet? I mean, filmjunk.com is probably the best place to start. And, uh, you know, at, at filmjunk on Twitter, filmjunk podcast on Instagram. Frank, you're still uh, the letterbox police, correct? Uh, yeah, although I, I someone did, uh, you know, call me on some of my, I've been slipping on here with some of my logging and stuff like that. So uh, definitely need to step up my game here. Although I, I, I certainly don't, uh, I'm not as caught up in people, you know, uh, not giving reviews or not logging rewatches. I slipped up and didn't even log joys rewatch this week, which people were happy to call out, <laughs> uh, several times in the comments for the review. So, you know, I, I'm pretty chill on that these days. It's, it's a like no one cares anymore. It's chaos. Oh, who cares? People are logging <laughs> TV shows. It's out of control. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. I gotta say, and you haven't been a fan of that for a very long time. Oh, but it, right no. lately, when I yeah, when I see like Wandavision on there, I'm like, oh come on. Oh, what what about the uh, assembled the making of Wandavision? Is that allowed? No, no, <laughs> no, no. no, no. <laughs> I did break one of my own commandments this week and people let me know. And I've since deleted that list. Mm. I made a, a comedy list, like strictly to, to be funny. And uh, I'm glad someone let me know that that is not allowed. And I deleted that list. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're people policing the police on, on Letterbox yeah. now. So that's who watches the Watchmen. Yeah, right. Exactly. Marvel Studios Assembled, The Making of WandaVision is on. I'm seeing a few th loggings here. Oh, it's being logged. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely in the middle on that. Like really high highs, but those last two episodes. Whoo. I mean, I guess I would say I'm more okay with logging Assembled than I am the show. Yeah, except that I think it's a series uh, like of I mean, I think it's the first one they've done, but I think it's planned to be a series of behind the scenes things they oh. do. And it's on Disney plus. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I'll be skipping this one. <laughs> I'll follow, uh, followed Frank on Letterboxd. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes, of course. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a wrap. I'm going to, for my next episode next month, complete opposite a, uh, French feminist filmmaker named Chantal Ackerman. And uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Jay is a fan of the film that she's most renowned for. That is a very long title. And I think it's like four hours long. Uh, but I'm, I'm really excited to delve into a filmmaker's work that I have zero experience with. It's a very rare thing, actually, like that I just kind of go, all right, well, I know, I know this director is important, but I have no experience. So I'm going to, just dive right in and hope for the best. Fingers crossed. Uh, and then for my birthday month, I'm covering Louis Mall. So, and he's someone I, it's kind of a blind spot too. So I'm just, I'm just taking risks uh, as we get to the summer here. But 
thanks again, Frank and Sean, for being on the show. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Jim. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be happy to do it again sometime in the near future. Woohoo! All right, everybody. My pleasure, Jim. Thank hey, can I say thank you? Yes, I hope you can. <laughs> yes, you can. Thanks, Jim. It was a pleasure being here. <laughs> what you just said is one of the Easy. most right, I'm done. idiotic things I've ever heard. <laughs> At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Thanks, Frank. All right, guys, we're good. If you're traveling to the North Country Fair Where the winds hit heavy On the borderline Remember me To one who lives there For she once was A true love of mine See for me that her hair's hanging down It curls and falls all down her breast See for me that her hair's hanging down That's the way I remember break up the pretension it reminds me of magnolia in some ways like i think it's it thinks it's more profound than it actually is and uh, careful